those that serve our kids in all the different ministries. In 1946, the president of Dartmouth College, John Sloan, he spoke to the graduating class. I wonder how the words will resonate with you today. He said this line, There is nothing wrong in the world that better human beings cannot fix. 64 years later, the current president of Dartmouth at that time quoted that same quote, and then he added to it to the graduating class in 2010. He said, you are the better human beings we've all been waiting for. There's a message that goes out across this world that if we can just dig deep enough within ourselves, that we'll fix the problems of this world. And that message is contrary to the book that God has left us. There is something called self-esteem that we're going to talk about a little bit today. And the idea of feeling good about oneself continues to become a central and controlling feature in our human existence. But this is not a new trend. This is not only in the past 50 years or 100 years or since our nation was founded. In fact, when we look at the believers back in the church at Corinth, we see that they moved from a beautiful place of praising God for the undeniable works that took place in their midst. They moved from that place of praise to patting themselves on the back, congratulating each other for what the others had done in the church. And there's a pattern even among Christ's followers, that each one of us needs to guard against. Even the most mature Christian needs to catch himself that he does not go down the wrong road when it comes to self-exaltation. We naturally will slide into a place of self-promotion that, here it is, leaves no place for inadequacy. The world doesn't care for the word inadequacy. When we talk about ourselves, when we talk about your kids. And yet the Word of God teaches us that it is vital. What we'll see in God's Word today is that we must celebrate our inadequacies if we want to be the aroma of Christ that is leading people to being saved. You can be that. But it's not going to be because of your greatness. It will be, as the Apostle Paul is going to show us today, from our inadequacies. We are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. All that to take us to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Would you please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 2? If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible there in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, please keep that pew Bible as our gift to you. I want us to key in, first of all, on this idea that insufficiency is not a barrier to usefulness. But in fact, the opposite is true. Insufficiency is not a barrier to usefulness, but instead it is a requirement for usefulness. We're in the uh, first part of 2 Corinthians. We're going to start reading in verse number 
14 of chapter 2, and we're going to go past the chapter break. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Well, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you, shall, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. In order for us to have a good understanding of this second letter written to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians, we need to have a little bit of an understanding of the first letter. So I'll just do just a little bit of review. In the first letter, Paul was calling out the sin in the individuals um, of this church that he started. There were five specific areas uh, where sin was standing out, self-promotion. There was a lot of comparison going on in the church. I'm better than you are. He's better than she is. And there were also sexual sins that uh, the Apostle Paul called out. In the second letter written to this church, we find that Paul says, Congratulations! They've done pretty good. They recognized this one, at least one that was involved in gross sin, the not even unbelievers practiced. And they took care of a lot of that. So they responded well to the first letter. But then as we come to the end of the second letter to the church at Corinth, we find Paul with what looks to me like an impossible task. Here's what he has to do. He has to kind of lay out his credentials to build credibility with this church again. Even though he was the one that preached the gospel and started the church, they were losing respect for the Apostle Paul because of some others that had come in and had maybe, they thought, taken Paul's place, maybe said some false things about Paul. So here's the impossible task. He has to defend his own authority while at the same time getting no credit and giving all glory to God. Now, if anybody's up for that task, it probably was the Apostle Paul, right? And that's going to, if you keep that in mind, he's in, toward the end of the book, he's defending his own authority and that he has a right to um, correct them and to encourage them and to lead them, but also he is going to not take any glory and credit for himself. And this directs us to our theme of inadequacy. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
But that's not how Paul started out. It's always helpful to know the history. If you've not had the privilege of going through the history book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, you can see all the steps in Paul's life. And some of you know how he started out. He studied under Gamaliel. Now, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was who? Saul of Tarsus. And he was on the rise among the Pharisees. And one day when he had uh, the authority to put believers in jail um, in his hand, and he had an entourage with him when he was on the road to Damascus, God knocks Paul off of his high horse. Jesus Christ speaks to him, and God gloriously saves the Apostle Paul. And then we find in the history book, he goes on doing these amazing things all throughout the book. How wonderful. Paul stands up there as as one of my heroes. Maybe some of you look up to him as much as I do. And so could it be that an individual that God used this much and who was so full of pride and full of self and God knocked down, could it be that he would be in danger of being puffed up? Certainly not the Apostle Paul. Paul, he, well, he's, he's the guy that I, that I patterned so much of my life after. God humbled him. He was used by God. But in order for him to stay away from the danger of himself getting puffed up, of becoming conceited, which is the repeated process that we see in this world and even among believers, unfortunately, we find that God gives him something. So he doesn't become conceited. You're in 2 Corinthians. Turn over to chapter 12. Starting in verse 7 of chapter 12. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. Why was it that Paul had to give a little bit of his resume of what he had done, of who he was, to these people that he led to Christ? Well, the reason is, is there were false teachers, what he calls, uh, quote, unquote, super apostles, they would think of themselves as. They weren't really super apostles, but that's Paul's sarcasm. And they had come into the church and they had knocked Paul from any position of influence. And what they had done was, is some of them were great speakers. Some of them were just very appealing and charismatic. 
and they had accumulated quite a following in the church. They were extremely conceited. And God's work in Corinth was undeniable. That people were saved and that, some, that miracles happened cannot be denied. So here's the picture that I want you to imagine with these, quote, super apostles, unquote. I want you to imagine a parade that's going on that's there to celebrate something incredible. So something amazing happened, and let's have a parade to celebrate that. And as the parade's going on, and there's great fanfare, and there's cheering, and there's just, you know, confetti and music and everything going on, imagine some guys come in late, and they march themselves right to the front of the parade, and they grab a hold of the banner up front, and they stick their chin up high, and they march leading the way to all the fanfare. That's a good picture of what happened here in Corinth. These guys bullied their way, and they got quite a following. Corinth had become enamored with these talented leaders, and Paul's accomplishments, hands down, far surpass any of theirs. And yet, he is clear, Paul is clear in the comparison as to what his greatest accomplishment is. You can read through all of it right there in the end of the, in 2 Corinthians. But Paul is very, very clear of all the things that he lists, what is the most impressive thing? The most impressive thing that he wants to boast about is his what? Weakness. Of all these things, I will boast in my weakness because that is how our Lord works. What have Paul learned? Any great accomplishment of God through us is simply a gift of the grace of God. Anything that we are able to do, any fruit we are able to produce is a gift from God and therefore it would be dangerous and it would be foolish to land in any place of self-exaltation. And that's where he's trying to point them away from. And so, in summary, since dependence is the objective, weakness is an advantage. That won't preach very well in the newspapers today. Now, the devil is creative in increasing man's thoughts of himself over dependency. And this is something that our culture will not accept. Our culture will not take this in at all. In July of 2009, Peggy Noonan wrote an article in a major newspaper, and here's what she said about self-esteem. The self-esteem movement told the young that they are perfect in every way, and it is yielding a generation with no proper sense of inadequacy. Some more research, uh, there was a book written um, in the United Kingdom, it's called Therapy Culture. And they go, there's some graphs that are very helpful in the front of the book, and they go into some details of researching this term, uh, self-esteem. They went so so, so far back as to 1980, and in 300 newspapers across the United Kingdom, they researched how many times the term self-esteem was used in those 300 papers in the year 1980. It was used zero times in 1980. We have to fast forward a little bit to uh, 1986. In 1986, for the entire year in all 300 newspapers, self-esteem was used three times. Fast forward just four more years, we find self-esteem used 103 times in the newspapers. 
Fast forward 10 more years to 2000. So this is going back a ways still. And in 2000, the phrase self-esteem was used, are you ready? 3,328 times in the news. Do you see what we are battling? And not only the pressure from everything around us, but the devil knows the pressure from right here within. He knows our tendency to want to promote ourselves. And there is a fundamental difference in why the world tells you that you have value and why this book tells you that you have value. You do not have value because you picked yourself up by your own bootstraps. You do not have value because of any of the accomplishments that you can list, but you do have value. You have value because God, the creator of the universe, sent his only son to die on a cross because he loves you. That's how much he values you. He sacrificed his only sinless son for you. And Christ conquered the grave. And we stand as valuable today because of what God did. And sometimes my heart goes to the same place of those believers in Corinth. The same place that Adam and Eve's mind went to. They want to share in that glory. They want just a little bit of accolades for themselves. And so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, we need to find a balance. So many individuals in this world, are, they're, they're like a pendulum. So they're, they're way over here, and they find out something's wrong, and so they start to go, and instead of landing in the right place, they go way over here. So here's what we find with this church. We find a big promotion of the Apostle Paul to humility. That's really what we're talking about today, the importance of humility. We are not alone. We have God, and God is everything. But we have to be very, very careful that when we're going to respond with humility that we stop in the right place because some will go all the way over here, and they'll say, well, if I'm not supposed to do anything, I might as well just go and sell all my goods and stop paying my bills and sit on a hill and wait for Jesus to come. Does anybody here hope he comes soon? I know that I do, but you better be paying your taxes and you better be doing right in the meantime. Don't allow that pendulum to go way over here. Stop in the right place. What does that mean? It means I have to do something. We trust God. We boast in our weaknesses, but then we're busy. We're active. The church in Corinth knew this. In chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, we see very, very clearly that they were an encouragement to churches in other cities. Their, their reputation had spread. They were financially generous, and other people were talking in such a positive way about them. And I believe it's verse 3 where it talks about the zeal that these believers had for God. Now, that's not just sitting there with your hands in your pockets and saying, if God wants to do something, I hope he does. They're active and they're working with zeal, and then they're trusting God to give his blessing. So we must have balance. And if I can just borrow that illustration I used a little bit ago, we want parades. We want multiple parades. We want to see God doing something through us as his children, through this church family. We want to celebrate. 
And not one of us is going to stomp up to the front and grab a hold and stick his chin up in the air like he was such a big part of it. Praise God for the fruit that we are able to produce and what we're able to do. Praise God for that. And you know the message of Paul. And you know when we have our parade to celebrate what God is doing. And I'm anticipating very, very soon us celebrating. Who's going to be right up at the front that everybody can look at and who will get the credit and the glory and the exaltation? It will be Jesus Christ. All glory be to Christ, our King. But we have to work. We have to be zealous We wonderfully walk in the ways of the Lord and we see Him not only being patient with us, but allowing us to produce fruit. And the danger the devil will sneak in there is, look how great you are. Check out what you did. It would have fallen apart without you. Aren't you something else? God gave the Apostle Paul a thorn in the flesh so that he would not become conceited. Is that shocking to anybody else? So he would not be puffed up. Did Paul want to get rid of the thorn in the flesh? Do you know the story? How many times did he ask God to remove it? Three times. God, take it away, I can't bear it. God, I'm serving you. God, this doesn't make any sense. And God very sweetly and patiently says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And then beyond that, he goes on to say, he goes on to say to Paul, my power, the parade that you guys want, my strength, all this is going to be very, very clear and it's going to come, Paul, through your weakness, through your inadequacy. And so we really are a backward folk, aren't we? Celebrating our inadequacies. Rejoicing in weaknesses. Because when we are weak, that allows the one at the front of the parade to be strong and to be revealed. And let it not be said that that amazing thing that we celebrate was done because of you or you or you or you, but only because of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he chose to work through us. And so there is no place for idleness. Don't allow yourself to say, well, God's going to have to do it all. There's no place for idleness. And do not go down the equally dangerous road of apathy. When God gives a blessing, we will know that our part was grounded in our weaknesses. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our loving God who knows us, you know each one of us perfectly well, not only by name, but you know what's going through our hearts right now. You know the struggles, you know our weaknesses. Heavenly Father, I thank you that I have the confidence of what this book teaches. I praise you for examples like Paul who lived it, but I also thank you that even though it goes against anything that my own human wisdom and understanding would point me to, you give us a recipe that does not make sense to a world around us, but it is how you work. And we thank you that not only is it sufficient, 
but we thank you that you are able to do amazing things when we place ourselves down low. God, I'm well aware that you gift individuals in certain ways. You give some abilities that I would look at and marvel at. Heavenly Father, there are some that that have some abilities and giftedness that they haven't even tapped into yet. Maybe they're concerned. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're lazy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great work that you will do. We look forward to the parade. We look forward to a celebration. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have the one who cannot fail and allows us to be part of this wonderful journey of bringing glory to you, Heavenly Father, and for our own good and our own joy on this side of heaven. While we have our heads bowed, I want to give you a chance to pray. We never like to close a time without giving an invitation for you to accept Christ. Christ died on the cross for my sins and for yours. And even in this moment, if God is drawing you to himself, just start to pray. God, forgive me, a sinner. Make me your child. If he's leading you, talk to him and ask him for forgiveness today. Maybe you're here today and you've noticed yourself puffed up in a few ways. Or maybe you're here today and you don't have anything to brag about because you're not busy serving the Lord much at all. However God's working in your heart, talk to him. He's listening. Amen.